Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. Our desire is to help people understand God's intention for their life. We hope wherever you're listening, you are blessed by this week's message. Wow, what a great time of worship. I'm so honored once again, our second week coming into your home. I'm just so thankful that even in the midst of this crazy uh, coronavirus outbreak that this country is experiencing, this world is experiencing, we still get to be the church. Uh, we still get to serve you, minister to you. And it's just, it's beyond Sunday. Uh, we're doing uh, all this uh, throughout the week. We're praying. And in fact, I want to actually invite you to pray right now with me. And we want to extend grace toward those who are on the front lines. And I'm particularly thinking about a local hospital um, in New York, uh, in Queens, Elmhurst Hospital. Um, I've been seeing some reports how this particular hospital in, 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 in Elmhurst is inundated. Uh, they've experienced the most amount of uh, deaths due to the coronavirus. And right where you are, right before we get into the word, I want you to know that your prayers is about to make a big difference right now. So we're going to just pray. We're going to take a few seconds to just release grace over the doctors, over the nurses, over the patients, over those who are just just in agony. Uh, we're going to see God's mercy demonstrated. Father, we're just sending right now a word of health, a word of healing to Elmhurst Hospital and all the hospitals, Lord God. We're declaring right now that your goodness is following them. So every patient, Lord, that is under the care of doctors, may they experience a speedy and full recovery in the name of Jesus. Father, we're praying for the nurses. We're praying for the doctors, those who are feeling inundated. They're feeling stressed. They've had 16-hour work days. Lord, right now, rejuvenate them, refresh them, cause them, Lord God, to have a second wind. Lord, we're just praying that their care would be of, 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 it would just be greatly effective, Lord God, that they would diagnose well, that the patients, Lord God, would receive treatment that they need. Father, we're just praying for all the necessary supplies, the ventilators, the beds, the staffing, Lord, the funding, whatever, Lord, is needed. Lord, we just call it into existence. Send Send your grace, send your help, your, your, your help right now, Lord God. And we're just in agreement with you that your goodness is being seen in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wanted to start off with that because I want you to know that your word has power. And as we release the word of health over uh, this, this pandemic that we're experiencing, I'm believing that this outbreak will be mitigated quickly in the name of Jesus. I believe in that. You know, the Lord gave me a, a word for you today. Um, as he often does, I, I don't just come and, and just, you know, preach whatever sounds good to me. Um, I seek the Lord, of course, and the Lord put a simple word, and it's found in Romans chapter 8. And uh, I'm going to share with you, and if you're taking notes, I hope you are, uh, I, want you, I want you to know that there's four people that don't matter in your life. And in fact, what I'm titling this message is Who Don't Matter. I know that's not perfect English, but I want you to know that there's some people that don't matter. There's some things that don't matter. And the Bible gives you four things in one particular passage in Romans 8. And I want you to know that there's some things that don't matter. There's some things that do, but there's some things that don't. And especially in this world that we're living in, in this time that we're living in, you know, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get, you know, just distracted as to what matters and, and, and pulled here and pulled here and allow something to weigh more heavily on your mind than, than, than it needs to. So I want to refocus, refocus 
focus your mind on the things that matter. But more importantly, I want you to, to be able to distinguish what doesn't matter. And Romans 8, this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. Verse 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right where you are, I want you to point to yourself and say, who can be against me? Who can be against me? If God is for me, if God is for me, who can be against me? Now, I'm sure that you can think of people that have actually come against you. I'm sure you can think of situations that have come against you, circumstances that have been against you. But the question is not necessarily who can, but what, what, does, what difference does it make? That's really the point. What difference does it make as to who comes against you? And I want you to focus on that reality right now, that God is for you. Come on, say that with me. God is for me. That means he is for my advancement. He is supporting me. As I shared with you last week, he is helping me. He is helping you. I want you to really realize that. And if that is the case, the question is this. Who can be against me? What can stand against me? What can make a big difference in my life? What can pull me away from my destiny? What is really that big of a deal if God is for me? Let me tell you something. There's four who's we're going to look at. This is the first who. Who can be against you? Really, think about it. Can uh, a lack of employment really stand against you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life? Can... A family member that maybe you're at odds with, can that really make the difference as to whether you fulfill God's plan for your life? Maybe you're single or you're married and you're having trouble with your relationship life and you're figuring out how that's going to come about. Can that really make the difference as to whether you fulfill God's plan for your life? Let me tell you something. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, nothing can really make a difference if God is for you. I want you to really pay close attention to that reality. God is for me. That means nothing can stand against me. Do you believe that? Nothing can stand against you. When I come into that reality, I feel a certain strength that comes upon me. Sometimes, just like maybe yourself, you know, you can sense a, a, a sense of fear, a sense of con uh, concern. How is this going to pan out? How is this going to work? And you begin to feel like, you know, what, what am I going to do? And then I'm reminded of this scripture. God is for me. In other words, I want you to see God like a coach in a boxing match. And he's in your corner. And he's pulling for you. And he's saying you can do it. And maybe it's round three round four, and he's coaching you, and he's telling you, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to get back out there. I want you to, you know, just use your uppercut. I want you to use your right, and he's telling you, I'm for you. I believe in you. You can do it, and I've seen a lot of boxing matches, and sometimes the fighter is kind of getting beat up a little bit, and, and, and he'll come back to his corner, and a good coach will say, hey, you're doing great, man. Don't worry about it. This, this, the next round is yours. And I'm telling you right now, that's what God is saying. Even if you've been beat up, even if some things have gone not the way you wanted it to go, God is still for you. He's in your corner. He's coaching you up. And he's telling you there is no one that can stand against you. There is nothing that can make a difference as to whether you fulfill God's plan for your life. I'm for you. And if I am for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Let me tell you one more time, if you need to hear it, God is for you. Come on, say it loud. God is for me. Come on, I want you to really get excited about that. God is for me. I like a scripture that says that no weapon formed against me will prosper. 
think about that. And that's, that, 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 that's the reality of God being for you. Weapons may form. Weapons may come against you. Things may come to frustrate you. But here's the promise. It will not prosper. It will not be a success. It will not cause you to be derailed from your purpose. I'm speaking that over your life right now. Even in this season, you will fulfill God's purpose. You may feel like this is a a, a step back or maybe a distraction, but God is for you. You will make it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me give you something here that, that, that I think is very important. If God is for you, that that means even lies that are said against you won't stick. Even that scripture I just, I, just, I just shared with you, where it says that if God is for you, who can be against you, and no weapon formed against you will prosper, the next part of that scripture in Isaiah, it says that every lying tongue that rises against you shall be condemned. Have you ever been lied to before or lied about? Has anyone ever lied on you? Smeared your name, smeared your character. You don't have to worry about that. When God is for you, lies against you won't stick. That's amazing. So you don't ever have to feel like you have to fend for yourself, fight for yourself, you know, defend your name. God is for you. Your name is defended by him. Thank you, Father. And I believe that that is such a reassuring peace that because he defends my name, I don't have to fight for the dignity or the integrity or, or my good name. I don't need to do that. I can rest. If God is at work, I can be at rest. And I'm speaking rest over you right now. God is at work. You'll be at rest in Jesus' name. Come on, lift up your hands and say, God is at work and I'm at rest. Come on, say that one more time just to get into your spirit. God is at work and I am at rest. When God is at work, you can be at rest. You can be at peace. Who can be against you? Oh, I'm excited about that. Look at this, verse 32. He who did not spare, I'm in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not freely with him give us all things? Think about that. He gave up Jesus. He didn't say, well, this is, this is, this is his only begotten son. He didn't say, you know what? I, I can't give my only begotten son away. No, the Bible says if he didn't spare his own son, but he instead delivered him up to be, to be a ransom for many, how shall he not freely give you all things? Oh, I, want you, I want you to say it this way. Him being for me means that all of heaven's resources are at my disposal. I want you to think about that. Heaven, heaven's resources, all of heaven's resources are at my disposal. How do I know that? Jesus was not spared. So if God gave up his only begotten son, think about that, and he would refuse to give you something else that you need, you know what he'd be saying? That this thing that you need is more precious than the son of God. How many know that's not true? I mean, like, if, if God would give Jesus, his only begotten son, heaven is saying all of heaven's resources are made available to you. That's what it means when God says that I'm for you, that I'm not just for you, I'm not just in your corner, I'm not just cheering you on. I've made all of heaven's resources available. So what do you need? I need grace, it's available. I need peace, no problem, it's available. I need strength, no problem, it's available. Why? I've given you my best. I've given you my son. I've given you Jesus. I've given you 
I've given you the Son of God. How can I withhold anything else? I mean, if I was to withhold something else, it would be me saying that this is more precious than the Son of God. How many know that's not true? So God is saying, when I'm for you, what I'm saying to you is this. I have made all of heaven's resources available to you. I'm thinking about the scripture that says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm telling you right now, right where you are, you have everything you need. You may look around and say, well, I don't think I do. I'm missing this and I could use more of that. Mm -mm. Change your confession. Change your perspective. Look at it. Romans 8.32 and say, wait a minute. All of heaven's resources have been made available to me. He who did not spare Jesus is not withholding something else. No, if he gave me his only begotten son, if he gave me his best, everything else is made available. That's what it means that God is for you. He has made all resources available to you. Come on, I feel feel like running right here. I'm telling you, that's amazing. That's amazing that everything I could possibly need, I have in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the first who. The second who, who, who falsely accuses you doesn't matter. Sometimes people will falsely accuse you. It doesn't matter. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know, there's something in our judicial system called the grand jury. You have two kinds of jury. You have a regular jury and you have a grand jury. The grand jury is slightly different than a regular court jury. When charges are brought, before you're, say someone is brought uh, to court and, and they're going to be tried, they have to be presented before a grand jury. And the grand jury is made up of more than a regular jury. A regular jury is about 12 people. The grand jury could be anywhere between 16 and 25 people. And the purpose of the grand jury isn't to decide whether the person is innocent or guilty. That's what the regular jury does. The grand jury, their purpose is simply to decide whether or not the case that is being presented should go to court. Is it enough evidence? Not that if the evidence is true or not, but is it enough that it warrants this being a trial? Right? And so the prosecutor will present evidence and say, well, this is what we believe and this is the evidence. And the grand jury has to make a decision. Uh, is there enough evidence for this to go forward or is this a waste of time? And when I think about the scripture where it says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? I see the scene of a grand jury where sometimes there are charges brought against you. In the realm of the heavens, there's, there's charges sometimes that Satan may try to accuse you. The Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. He may try to say, this is, this is true of you, and, and you deserve to be judged, and you deserve the wrath of God. He'll bring accusations. But then there's a grand jury, right? I want you to see this picture. And the question is this, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies You know what I see? That even though in the grand jury, as I just described, in heaven, if you were to paint that same picture, there are accusations, there are charges being brought, but God is saying, this is illegitimate. These charges do not count. This does not warrant a trial. I've already made a judgment. My child is justified. My child is deserving of my best. My child is deserving of my mercy. That is the verdict case closed. 
Come on. That's exciting right there because sometimes we think that the enemy is accusing us and God is, you know, kind of thinking about, hmm, you know, you bring up a good point. Maybe I should allow you to, you know, attack this person. Maybe I should allow you to deal, you know, hmm, let, let, let me think about that. No, no, no. No, no. The question is this. Who will bring a charge? Who, you can't even bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So when the charge is brought, God renders a verdict. And the verdict is this. You are justified. Oh, that's the second who I want you to really think about. Who will bring a charge against you, falsely accusing you? And if it's true in the realm of the heavens, let me tell you, like I said just a few minutes ago, it's true even in the natural. Sometimes people will try to lie on you. They'll try to say things to you. They'll try to speak words of condemnation or death towards you. No, 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 no. Don't allow that to stick. Don't allow that to weigh on you. Don't, don't allow that to, to be something that you embrace. You need to resoundingly reject that and say, no, God is the one who justifies me. I remember not too long ago, uh, there was someone who tried to, you know, share some things with me that they felt was, was of the Lord. And, and it wasn't. It really wasn't. And I felt in my spirit to say, no, I reject that. I, I do not accept that. I cannot. I, why? Because I had to remember God justifies. God is saying something different. And you, what you have to ask yourself is, what is God saying to me? What is he saying about me? And sometimes you have to quiet the noise, quiet what other people are saying, quiet what other things are maybe presenting to you and you need to say wait a minute this sounds like a charge this sounds like an accusation God is the one who justifies I reject that in the name of Jesus come on are you excited about that yeah God is 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 right now justifying you and you're justified by the blood of Jesus and I want you to know because you're justified you're qualified for his goodness you're qualified for his mercy Sometimes you may feel like I'm not qualified or you might hear a word that, you know what, you, you, you fail to do certain things and so you're always going to fail. No, 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 I reject that. And that brings me to my third who, who speaks negatively over you doesn't matter. Who speaks negatively over you doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And when you think about that, who was speaking negatively over you? It doesn't matter. That's the third who. Where do I see that? It says in verse 34, who is he who condemns? I want to use the word negatively because I think that's the word we use a lot. When someone is negative, who is saying negative things about you? They don't matter. Those words don't matter. Who doesn't believe in you? They don't matter. Those words don't matter. Who is saying that you're going to fail? They don't matter. Those words don't matter. Why? We see again, Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Thank you, Father. So let me think about, I want you to think about this. When, when it says that Jesus died, what, they really, what, what the scriptures is really showing is that he was condemned already. He died a condemning death. When he was on the cross, that was condemnation. That was judgment. That was death. And that's what condemnation is. That's what negativity is. It speaks death over you. And it's not always like a loud curse. It's not always some type of demonstrative word spoken over you that's so bold and loud. Sometimes it can be very subtle. Sometimes it can just be just a, yeah, I'm not sure about that. You, I don't think you can. I don't, I don't, I don't think you're able to. Uh, you know, remember this. And it's words of doubt. It's words that, 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 that try to get you to feel like you can't do something. Or it's words that try to remind you of how you failed in the past. 
This is the who that the scriptures are saying. Who is he who condemns? Are you feeling condemned right now? Does someone constantly bring up your past? Are you constantly hearing of things that you've done in the past? God is saying, no, 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 no. They don't matter. Those words don't matter. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Oh, think about that. Jesus not only died. Look, look, I, I want to teach this. Look at the scripture. He not only died, but what happened? He rose, he's at the right hand of God, and he's also making intercession for you. Sometimes people think that Jesus just sitting there, you know, doing nothing, you know, with, with a bunch of clouds, you know, and a bunch of angels just worshiping him. No, he's doing something. What is he doing? He's making intercession for you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Okay. Have you ever needed prayer? Have you ever needed someone to speak up for you? Have you ever needed someone to defend you? That's what Jesus is doing right now. That's why it says, who is he who condemns? Who is he who speaks negatively? Who is he who says you can't? Who, who is he who brings up your past and says, this is what you'll always be? No, it is Christ who died. It is he who is risen. It is he who ascended at the right hand of God. It is he who is making into intercession for you. Come on, I want you to get excited right now. Jesus is praying for you. If no one else is praying for you, know this, Jesus himself is speaking on your behalf to the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Get excited about that, that Jesus is making intercession for you. He's speaking on your behalf. He's declaring the goodness of, of his blood over your life. He's declaring his protection over your life. He's saying that you're deserving of God's best. He's saying that Satan cannot have access to your life. He is praying. He is interceding for you. Therefore, who is condemning you? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Condemning words don't matter. Whoever's condemning you doesn't matter. Negativity doesn't matter. It is God who died. It is he who rose. It is he who was making intercession for you. Hallelujah. Get excited about that. Condemnation is a death sentence. It's a finality. And I want you to know that there is no condemnation to you. Now, when I thought about this, sometimes I think about people who struggle with condemnation. And maybe you're like, well, what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Because sometimes the Lord will deal with you, right? Sometimes you could be going on the wrong path. Maybe you harden your heart to the things of God. Maybe you have engaged in a lifestyle that God is not approving of and you feel guilty. I want you to, I want you to hear me very clearly. God is not condoning wrongdoing. He's not saying, oh, it doesn't make a difference how you live your life. Do what you want to do. I love you. I'll forgive you. No, no. God has requirements. He wants you to live holy. He wants you to live right. And he will chastise or correct you as his child. No question about it. I want you to be very, very clear about that. God has a standard and he wants you to live to that standard. And you can because his grace enables you to do it. So sometimes we can go a direction and our heart begins to deal with us. How do you know when it enters into the realm of condemnation? Very simple. I want you to think about that. Condemnation feels final. Conviction feels fixable. Condemnation feels final. When you are condemned, there is a finality to it. It's a statement about you. You're this. You're a sinner. You're a no good. You're a hypocrite. 
God doesn't love you, it's, it's, it feels final. But when God convicts you, it feels fixable. He begins to give you the way out. He begins to show you how to change. He begins to remind you who you are. He begins to tell you that he loves you. He begins to tell you you can do better. He begins to tell you, I expect more from you. Condemnation feels final, but conviction is fixable. And so right now, if you begin to, if, you, if you're sensing, man, I, 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 there's some things I need to change, you can do that. That's conviction. But if you're beginning to hold your head down and like, oh my God, I feel so ashamed. Who am I? What am I? That's condemnation. And I'm telling you right now, God is saying, I am not condemning you. I am not condemning you. I am maybe convicting you as, as my child. I may be instructing you as my child, but I am not condemning you. You can do it. I am for you. I'm in your corner and I expect more of you because my grace will push you towards that in the name of Jesus. Come on, if that's good news, would you shout hallelujah right where you are? Come on, give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah. I'm not condemned. Oh yeah. I'm not condemned. Oh, thank you, Father, that I'm not condemned. You know, I'm thinking of a young man in the Bible. His name was Jabez. Jabez. Jabez means sorrowful, painful. And the reason why he was given that name is because he was born in pain. Now, every woman who gives birth generally feels, you know, pain, labor pains. Labor pains are it's, it's somewhat normal, obviously. But his, his delivery was so painful, so excruciating that she called him pain. Imagine being born and your mom said, you were such a, a hard baby to deliver. I'm going to call you pain. I'm going to call you sorrow. I'm going to call you grief. Imagine that. And that's what, you know, Jabez sounds like a cool name. Jabez, ah, Jabez, you know. But that's not how it sounded in the culture. In the culture, when they heard the word Jabez, they, they, they were pronouncing pain, sorrow, grief. And Jabez, the Bible says, was an honorable person. And he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't want this to be true of me. I don't want this to be, I don't, I know since I was young, they've called me Jabez, pain, grief, sorrow, all of these things. But Lord, I don't want my destiny to be, to be wrapped with pain. I don't want to be the cause of pain. I don't want to experience pain. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want my life to be defined by something I did when I was born. And that's what condemnation does. It defines you by something in the past. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible says that God heard Jabez's prayer. He heard his prayer and he blessed him and he changed his destiny. Where Jabez was heading, God rerouted him because he began to look to the Father and began to pray, Lord, let these words not be true of me. And I'm telling you right now, God is not condemning you. And if you would cry out to him and say, Lord, those words that my mom spoke over me, perhaps, my ex-boyfriend, my ex-wife, my ex this, my former boss, whoever spoke whatever word to you, a teacher when I was in fourth grade, a coach when I was in high school, my brother, my sibling, a friend, an enemy, whoever said something that, 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 that made my heart feel like I cannot. I want you to cancel that right now and begin to say, Lord, you are the one who lifts up my head. Hallelujah. And you have not put shame on me. You have put dignity on me. And I'm accepting who I am in Christ. 
Hallelujah. I'm telling you right now, who condemns you doesn't matter. It is God who has justified you. It is God who has lifted up Jesus from the grave. It is God who is causing Christ to intercede for you. This is what matters. Keep your focus on that. Hallelujah. Let me give you one more and one final, one, one final who, and that is who, I'm going to add a word here, who will try. <laughs> you know how people say, you tried it, right? Who will try to separate you from the love of God? This is all in Romans 8. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters. It's so rich with, 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 with truths of who we are. And the scripture says in Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Who? Who will separate you? Who will keep you from experiencing God's love? And you can replace the word who with what? I don't care if it's the pandemic. I don't care if it's unemployment. I don't care if your kids are kind of, you know, running crazy. Whatever it is. Whatever situation it is. It cannot come in between you and the love of God. Oh, thank you, Father. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then it asks specific questions. Shall tribulation, what is tribulation? Tribulation is great pressure, great burden. It's, it's not just a little bit of a problem. I'm, I'm in a little bit of a pickle here. No, tribulation is great pressure, great burden, great, great agony. And the scripture is saying, even if you're experiencing that, even if you're experiencing tribulation where you're being constantly attacked, constantly pressured, constantly burdened, even in that, you're not separated from God's love. And, and, and what does that mean? You may say, okay, well, I'm, I'm experiencing all of this and God's love is here. Well, if God's love is here, that means his love makes a difference in that situation. That means his love causes you to experience victory in that situation. His love is not just there just to be there. His love is there for a purpose. And it says, shall tribulation, shall distress. <laughs> when I looked, I, I, I like word studies. And so I took some time to look at the word distress. And the word distress literally means, and this is going to make you laugh, I think, based on where we're at right now. It means narrowness of place, a narrow place. And when I, when I read that definition, it, I thought about the quarantine that many of us are. And many of us, we feel like we're in a narrow place. We're confined. We can't move. You can't, so, you can't gather. You can't, you can't go here. You can't work. You, know, you can't send your kids to school. And what happens is the walls can sometimes seem to be closing in. And you feel distressed. You feel like you're in a narrow place. You feel like you don't have a lot of options. You feel like you don't have a lot of places to go, a lot of outlets. The Bible is saying right now, even if that's your reality, God's love is present. That cannot separate you from the love of God. Mm. It says, not only tribulation, distress, it says persecution. Many of us in America, we haven't experienced persecution, and I pray we don't. <laughs> I really do. I'm not one of those Christians who feel guilty about not being persecuted. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't. You know, but I recognize that many of our brothers and sisters around the world are under persecution. And we must help them. We must pray for them. We, know, we, we must remember them. The Bible says, remember those who are in chains for the gospel. So we have, their suffering is our suffering. 
So persecution is a very real thing. So if even you're in a place where you're being persecuted, which is a program to, it's like a campaign to steadily push you down, press you down, keep you from rising up. It may not be for the gospel's sake. It could just be because you, you know, you're of a certain ethnicity, you're a certain race, you know, you're in a certain climate, you have a certain income status, and you feel like you're constantly being pressed down, persecuted. You can't rise up. The Bible is saying his love is present in that moment. And again, if his love is present, it's present for a purpose. And we're going to see that purpose in a second. Shall persecution, no, not even persecution, shall separate you from the love of God. Or famine. Many of us, thank God, we haven't experienced famine. I mean, in America, if you don't have enough money, you know, to, to eat, you know, more than likely you're able to qualify for some assistance from the government. And yet, I mean, but let me tell you something. There are places in this country, if you don't have money to eat, there is no assistance from the government. They, there are places in the world where it is true famine. It is true famine. There's no, well, I lost my job. Can I collect unemployment? Mm-mm. There's no unemployment. If, you, if, you don't, if, you're not, if you're not employed, then you just have no money. That's a reality for most of the world, for a lot of places. That's why when I think about this country, and, and this country has a lot of flaws, and we can list them. But I always, I always thank God for America. I mean, right now, we're looking at a, a stimulus package that's about to be passed, and I'm not interested in, in arguing whether the, you know, because I know economists have different thoughts about whether this is good or not, but think about it. You're, you're, you may be out of work, and your government is about to send you, if you qualify, a couple of thousand dollars. I mean, that is not the norm in, around the world. I want you to realize that. Thank God for America. Thank God for the good. Thank God for the good. But I want you to know that there are places where people are experiencing famine. There is no food. There is no vegetation. There is nothing but rocks and dirt. There is nothing to eat. And the Bible says that even if you're in that situation, the love of God is present. My God, I, I, I can't even fathom that. But I want you to realize that's the reality. The love of God is so strong that even in famine, even the next thing, which is nakedness, the love of God is present. Even the next thing, which is peril, that means you're in a dangerous situation. The love of God is present. Even in sword, that means a time of war, the love of God is present. And God is simply saying, listen, you name it, whatever your situation is, whatever your context is, whatever, what you're, whatever, you're, whatever, whatever you're going through, it cannot separate you from my love. My love is that intense. My love is that pure. My love is that strong. My love is that real. That no matter what you're facing, you can never be separated from my love. Come on, right where you are. Say, thank God that I'm loved by God. Hallelujah. I'm loved by God. I'm love. He, I can't escape his love. I can't run from his love. I can't hide from his love. His love is that real. His love is that powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, look at verse 36. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things. Somebody say, in all these things. In what things? In what things are we talking about? All the things I listed. 
in tribulation, in persecution, in famine, in nakedness, in peril, in sword, in all of those things. What are you? You are what? More than a conqueror. So in the state of need, in the state of famine, in the state of peril, in the state of confusion, in the state of all these things, heaven sees something different about you. See, our problem is we see these things and we say, well, this must be true of me. God is like, no, 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 no. These things are subject to change. And what changes it? My love. So while you're in famine, while you're in persecution, while you're in tribulation, while you're in peril, while you're in sword, what happens? My love is present and it can change all of that. That's why I see you as more than a conqueror. I'm not seeing these things. I'm seeing my word. I'm seeing what Jesus did. I'm seeing the blood of Christ. I'm seeing his broken body. And I'm declaring right now that these things will not change. God's opinion of you will not change. The economy might change. Your job status might change. Your family status might change. I don't know. All these things might change. But in all these things, hallelujah. Somebody say, in all these things. In all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him. Think about it. Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. I'm about to wrap up, but I want you to think about that. It's because of his love. If, it's, if you would tap into that reality, I'm, a, I'm more than a conqueror because of his love. This is why Paul ends this, and he says this in verse 38, I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Are you persuaded today? And that's the thing I want you to know. God wants you to be persuaded, persuaded, persuaded. Right while I'm speaking, I feel like there's someone, you have a problem with your, your right heel, and the Lord is healing you right now. You have a problem with your foot, and the Lord is extending his healing to you right now. And that is his love being sent to you. So if you're experiencing pain in your right heel, I just see the Lord right now healing that. He's confirming that I want you to be persuaded that right where you are, I see your need, and I'm healing your foot in the name of Jesus of the right heel be released from that person's body now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Paul says, I am persuaded. What is he persuaded about? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, that's how powerful God's love is. If you forget everything else, don't forget this, that I'm loved by God. Come on, forget the fact that you got laid off. Forget the fact that someone said, I don't want to be in your life anymore. Forget the fact that this didn't work out. But don't forget this, you're loved by God. If you will be persuaded by that, you will live like you are more than a conqueror. I'm speaking that in your life right now. This is a season where you will live not by what is going around you, but what was happened inside of you. And what's happened inside of you is that the Holy Spirit came in you and he changed you and he made you who Christ is. You are like Jesus because he's given you his DNA, his identity, his spirit, his word, his power. And you are more than a conqueror through his love and that will never change in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, it's going to work out for you because of his love. Oh, I want you tomorrow to wake, wake up. Lord, thank you that you love me. Before you pull out your phone and scroll on Instagram, Lord, thank you that you love me. Before you call somebody, before you make coffee, before you get, you know, well, you can't leave your house, right? So whatever you're doing, say, Lord, thank you that you love me. You love me. 
you love me. Let that be a burning revelation on your, in your heart and watch how God revolutionizes your life even in this season. I want to pray for every person right now that, that's watching me. Maybe you're hearing these words and again, it sounds great, sounds cool and you know, uh, you're like, well, that, that's wonderful but you don't know Jesus. And I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about you've never heard of Jesus. I'm not talking about you've never been to church. I'm not talking about you never prayed. I'm talking about you have not given your life to him. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I am giving my life to Jesus. If you've never made that decision, right now, is your, is, this, this is all about you right now. And I want you to accept the invitation and the commandment that God has put before you to be saved, to be reconciled to him, to come into relationship with him. This is your moment. This is your time. I want you to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your savior. So how do you do that? You simply acknowledge that you need a savior. Sometimes, you know, people think that I don't, I'm good. You know, I'm, you know, I don't hurt anybody. I have a, I live a, a good, clean life. No, no, we all need a savior. If you were born into this planet, you were born a sinner and you need your sins to be forgiven. Good news is you don't have to work for it. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to change every single thing about your life. You don't have to clean yourself up. You can't do it. All you need to do is you, you need to acknowledge, I need savior. Think about a shower. Think about it. When you go into your bathtub, you turn that water on. You don't make the water come out. You're not taking the water, sucking it out of the pipe. It just, it just showers you, right? You just step in and you just sit, you just stand there and you allow that water to clean you. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Will you step into the tub of salvation and allow the Lord to just shower you? He will cause the dirt. He will cause the, he will cause all of that to fall off for you. But you got to step in and say, I need to be clean. I need a savior. I need Jesus. Right where you are, would you say, Lord, I repent of my sin and I'm asking you to come into my life. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he's alive today. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you now. Amen. Amen. If you did that, if you pray that from your heart, the Holy Spirit entered your life and he is working something fresh in your heart. I want to be there to help you walk this walk. Wherever you are, would you do me one thing, one favor? Just email us at info at nylifechurch.com. All you need to do is say, I received Jesus today. Would you do that? What we're going to do once you do that, we're going to send you a reply. And that reply is going to share with you four or five things you should do to grow this relationship with the Lord. It's not hard. It's not something that's going to, you know, be out of your grasp. No, the Holy Spirit is in you. He loves you and he's going to help you but allow us to help you walk this new walk in Christ. Let me tell you something. That's the best decision that you could have made, and I'm so glad you made it. And because you made it, you are now guaranteed eternal life. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear where you're going to go after this life. No, you will be with the Lord because you've received him as your Lord and Savior. I'm so excited for you. Hallelujah. God, Father, I bless you. I thank you for these words that have been shared. I thank you for the anointing that is flowing. I thank you for every person that is watching me right now on their television set, on 
on their tablet, on their phone, wherever they're watching. I thank you that you're speaking to them. And I'm declaring that this is a season of grace for them. I declare this is a season of hope for them. And they will walk knowing who they are in Christ. All of these things, <laughs> no matter what's going on, all of these things don't matter. We are more than conquerors through your love, through your love. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our website at www.nylifechurch.com and click on the gift tab. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Go and live a purpose-driven life.